0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, we're looking at the book of Daniel, and appropriately so, this book we're looking at is trying to learn how to thrive in a culture gone hysterical. Us. That's us. Gone hysterical. How do we live? How are we supposed to live? Not, no, no, not live, thrive. How do we thrive in this kind of context? Well, what we're, we're looking at today chapter 6. It's the end of the biography part. And, you know, living in a culture that we're living in today, it's like Babylon. You've probably read books that have the title that say something like uh, Swimming with Sharks. You know how to swim with sharks? I, I read one of those in business school. And this, if there's a book, this is the best book ever written, Daniel, on how to swim with the sharks. When you read a book on how to swim with the sharks, there, there's only three options, mostly just promote two. One is learn to be a better shark, you know, so they teach you shark techniques and how to get what you can when you can, and not leave any marks behind, and then, of course, there's another model of swimming with the sharks where you, well, you don't even swim with, you just don't, you, know, you don't even get in the, you know, right, you just hide in some cove somewhere, but what Daniel does, what's great about this book is saying you can thrive, you can swim in the sharks like a dolphin, See, that's his, that's his model here is his dolphins. Dolphins can outswim sharks. They, they're faster, they can cut sharper, and you know, you'll see or read stories where dolphins can beat up sharks when they team up together. And all the while, okay, they're joyful and they're humble and they're fun to be around. I mean, we go to parks so we can ride it on the back of a dorsal fin of a, of a dolphin. You know, that park that was having people ride on sharks, it didn't last long at all. <laughs> that was a really bad idea. No one likes sharks dolphins, bottled nosed dolphins, we like those, all right? And Daniel teaches us how to swim with the sharks, not like a shark, but with a dolphin. You swim like a shark in shark-infested waters, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your innocence. It's going to cost you your reputation. Reputation as a Christian. You can go this other model where you just hide and hope that nothing ever happens to you, and something will always happen. The culture is too Pervasive and the sin is all around us. And then then there's this other choice. You can maintain holiness, right? You can maintain your dedication to the Lord. You can maintain your innocence if you learn from Daniel here. It's a great book, and that's what he's going to teach us today. This is chapter six, it's the last in the biography section. Let me give you an update on what's happened in the storyline. He's Daniel's now older. He could be as old as 85, and there's a new king in town. Cyrus is now a king of the Medo-Persian Empire, which is much bigger than the Babylonian Empire. They took over Babylon, and he's going to put in charge of running everything. As far as we know, I think this is how it works. Anyway, it's hard to tell historically, is a, a man named Darius. They're going to call him king, and Darius is the person that's ruling, and he's going to set up his new administration. He's going to appoint what would be essentially governors and mayors, and Daniel is going to get promoted. He's going to find out about Daniel. He's going to promote him, and even promote him higher than anyone else. That's where the story is. Now, here's what's key to chapter 6 in the book of Daniel. It's kind of interesting. Uh, it, it's, you probably know the story. You know how it ends. It's going to be hard to keep the tension going here, but it's Daniel in the lion's den, But if you look carefully and, you know, kind of instructively, right, with some insight, you'll see that the book, this chapter is not about Daniel. This chapter is about Darius. Sure, it's Daniel and the lion's den. It's really Darius and the lion's den. It's Darius and his loving, respectful relationship with Daniel. Now, how do we know this? Well, because Daniel doesn't say very much, and he doesn't actually do very much. And when it comes to story writing, his character does not change or alter. The character that is doing the moving, most of the talking, and the person we're supposed to be studying is Darius. So just keep that in mind while we go through the story because uh, it's important to know. Because, and I think one of the reasons we're going to be focusing on Darius is because this, is, this section is the tipping point for the history of Israel. Because after this, right around this period of time, Cyrus, Darius' boss, Darius is in charge of everything, but Cyrus, Cyrus is going to start realizing that the Jews are safe and they're good. And they should go back. It will be Cyrus right after this that Cyrus will write a decree to allow people to return to Jerusalem. They've been out for 70 years or so. And so listen, we're gonna look at Daniel and how to be a dolphin, and I want you to I don't want you to make Daniel out to something that you can't be. We're gonna look at four attributes of a dolphin, but you can be all four of these. These are things that anyone can have if they make a choice, if they choose to be a dolphin, not choose to be a Daniel, choose to be a dolphin. You want to be a dolphin? Who wants to be a dolphin? Yeah. Okay, good. They're cute. Aren't they fun? Okay, the first attribute you must have to be a dolphin swimming with sharks is an excellent attitude, an excellent attitude. Okay, as the story goes in chapter 1, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, he's going to assign what he's going to call satraps. He's got 120 of those. Those are like mayors overseeing everything. And then three governors, they'll be called presidents in this story. And that's what's happening is Darius is setting up like his giant pyramid of, of, of government authority. And Daniel is going to get his attention. Verse 3, that's where we'll pick it up. Soon Daniel distinguished himself above the other presidents, those other, the other two, and the satraps because of his excellent spirit was with him. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom because of that. Mark your Bible right there because of his excellent spirit. Extraordinary attitude is a great translation. Extraordinary attitude. He had a different, it wasn't intelligence, it wasn't personality, it was attitude. One writer says the most attractive thing about Christianity is a Christian that's glad he is. Did you get that? The most attracting thing about Christianity is a Christian that's glad he's a Christian. And because the joy of the Lord is what's motivating them. And their, their attitude is pervasive, it, it, is, it is always out there. And you're thinking, well, I mean, if I had what Daniel had, I'd probably have a good attitude as well. Listen, if there's ever a person that's qualified to be a bitter, angry old man, it's this guy, Daniel. Okay, let me just review for a second, okay? As a young boy, he saw his town, Jerusalem, the most holy city, right? The the city of peace. He sees it destroyed by the Babylonians. He sees the temple pillaged and then burned. His God is mocked. He's taken to Babylon, based on Jewish tradition. He is castrated. He is never married. He cannot have children. And then he's brainwashed and enslaved. To various rulers, most of which he, that mock God, he lives with wave after wave after wave of blasphemy. This is what he's living with, and he's growing old, watching these old men take advantage of his intelligence. And sometimes, remember that one king they just completely disregarded him and let him out to pasture, only to be brought back to read the writing on the wall and tell him his days were done. Now. Now he's promoted to this place, and it looks like he'll be promoted as the highest place, and his entire executive team, they want to kill him, <laughs> okay? So this person, I mean, he's like the archetype for the bitter old man. This is, this is the person that's 85-year-old bachelor, 4 o'clock in the morning, waiting for his you know, newspaper to come, get off my yard. That's who he's supposed to be but he has chosen not to be. He's chosen to have an excellent attitude. He's chosen this. I'll tell you what's happening inside of his head. He's chosen this. He's going to trust the sovereign power of God's plan over his ability to understand it. Okay? He's just going to say, you know what, I'm gonna. I'm I'm just gonna have to trust God for this. I don't know why it's happening this way, but I'm just. And as a result of delegating to God the difficult things to understand, now he's gonna have a positive attitude. He'll have a winsome spirit, right? He's gonna have a teachable heart, easy application for us, right? It's pretty easy to see where the line goes. How about us? In your place of influence, this is attitude. In your place of influence, your boss, your coworkers, your for, you know, your fellow, you know, soccer players, whatever, do, is this, is the, do you have this excellent attitude? Or are you, are you towards grudges and resentment and envy? I'll say it again. This has nothing to do with personality. This, this, isn't, this is the difference between um, being nice or being grumpy. Being a person that encourages other people Versus a person that is gossipy and tearing things apart. He had an excellent attitude. And this is the, that's the first attribute. This, don't be afraid of swimming with the sharks. Just swim like a dolphin. Don't be like a shark. That's your default. It's easy to do that. He's saying he has this excellent attitude. And that's, by the way, is why he rises to the top. The next attribute he has, the second one you need to have to be a real dolphin, Is integrity. Is integrity. So, um, uh, the bad guys in this story are the people that are jealous. Uh, They have other political ambitions, and they don't like him being Jewish. They'll say that, this this slave from Judah. And they resent that. And so, they're going to go after him and try to attack him, and they're looking for a weak spot. And they think it might be in the area of integrity. It's not. Look at verse 4 up on the screens. He says, and so when the presidents and the satraps tried to find grounds for complaint against Daniel in connection with the kingdom, with the kingdom, but, but, but they were unable to, they couldn't find, they, they found no grounds for complaint or any corruption because he was faithful and there was no negligence or corruption that could be found. Can you imagine? I mean, they're following him around, right? They've got a trailer on. They've hired a private detective. They've gone into his computer. They've hacked it. They've looked at all of his history. They can't find anything. They're looking at his credit cards. They they can't find anything. Look, 60, by the way, let's review, 65 years. They have enough material. 65 years he's been doing this job. Nothing. They find nothing. They just say, what is this guy, a Boy Scout? And somebody says, no, he's a saint. That's what he is. He's a saint. That's consistency. That's integrity, rather. That's, in, that's integrity. That means being ethical. That means doing the right thing and having a clear conscience. He's a dolphin. He has a clear conscience. Uh, what is it? In Proverbs 20, uh, there are many who say they are honorable, but who can find a trustworthy man? Point is, they're hard to find. It's hard to find someone without guile. You, you, you might know the story of uh, uh, Mark Twain, <laughs> sent a telegraph to 12 of his good friends, and this is what the telegraph said, flee at once, all has been discovered. That's it. Flee at once, all has been discovered. All 12 of them left town immediately. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to send that to Washington, D.C.? Just <laughs> clear it out in a day. Boom. Because that's not the case for him because he's not swimming like a shark, right? When in Rome, he's not going to play like a Roman. He's going to swim like a saint. Now here's what the New Testament says about how we should work with, at work. He says, obey your earthly bosses with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as though you would be obeying Christ himself. Obey them not only to win their favor in, in, in your eyes, right, so that you would win their eye, your eye of favor, but also... As a slave of Christ, you're supposed to be winning them over to Christ. Serve wholeheartedly as you'd be serving the Lord, not people. How's that working? Integrity. Integrity. So you have this excellent spirit, then you have integrity. And the last one, or not the, the third one, there's four. The last one is, I'm saying it again, the third one is consistency. Ironically, consistency. Do it right? Right? What are the bad guys gonna do? okay, remember the conclusion of their investigation? He's a saint. And so they say, well, that's all we have, and we can use that against him. And so they're going to they're contrive a plan so that they can make a law that his sainthood will become illegal. And so they do that. They, they go um, and they set a trap for him in chapter 6, verse 6 they go to the president and they, I'm sorry, they go to the king, the presidents and the satraps conspire and they came to the king and said, oh, King Darius, live forever. Yeah, yeah, whatever it went. All the presidents of the kingdom and all the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors all agreed that, that's not true, all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an uh, an edict or an interdict uh, that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days, except you, O king, They should be thrown in a lion's den. We've all come up, everybody in leadership, everybody in political power, we all came up with this thing. We want to make you the God of the month. 30 days, you can't pray to anyone else. This is how they're going to trap Daniel, because of his consistency. And the king, (laughs) he's like, yeah, I can do God of the month. Yeah, I can be that. They can only serve me and worship me and pray to me. And so they bring out some sheets of paper and they're saying, sign here, O king, sign here, sign here, sign here. And the reason they're doing that is because they're trying to make an official document or declaration of what's called the law of the Medes and Persians. We still use this figure of speech today. Oh, that's the law of the Medes and Persians. And what that means is you can't change it. You can't get out of it. And so they've tricked the king into writing the law of the Medes and Persians to make it illegal to pray to anyone or anything but the king himself. That's, that's what happens. That's, and so what does Daniel do when he finds out that there's this new law? Well, Daniel did what Daniel does consistently. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, there was a window open toward Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees, three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. As he's always been doing. A new law came out, doesn't matter. He's going to do it anyway. Listen, think about this. How is this even a trap? Right? How is this even a trap unless everyone knows this about Daniel, that he prays, and he consistently prays. He won't stop praying. That he's devoted, and that he's courageous. That he's devoted, oh yeah, he's going to pray, and then he's courageous. He's not going to be afraid of dying, so there's that. Because, listen, if if anybody else was lured in, the only way this like this trap gets sprung is somebody goes, well, I'm not all that devoted. Well, okay, then I guess it won't work. Or they're, they're, they're not courageous. They're cowardly. And it's like, there's a new law coming out. That's not, I'm not going to touch it. But this is a trap, and it's, a, it's an easy win for them because of his consistency. The point is, they knew how consistently courageous he was and how devoted he was. Three times a day, he faced Jerusalem and asked the Lord to bring repentance to Israel so that they could return home. And he and he prayed this with thanksgiving. It kept him clear-headed. Here's what he was not. We sang about that in that that new song. We, here's what he was not. He 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 was not a crisis-oriented pray person. He wasn't. A, he didn't have a crisis-oriented prayer life. Not a crisis-oriented faith. Like only when the crises come, right? He's praying three times a day, good times and bad. You want to swim with the sharks? You'd better be a fast dolphin. And fast dolphins. That means you need to work out every day. You want to? in. You got a big fight coming up. You want to schedule your training ahead of time, or just go into it now that it's you know now that it's happening. You have to. You have to plan for months to be able to have some kind of a boxing match, right? Crisis-oriented faith. They can't survive in these times. I, I when I before I came working at the church, I was working in a. Real estate office, and there was a, a guy there. I'd seen him for a couple of years get in a lot of financial trouble. I mean, he, um, well, let's just, <laughs> the police were coming to the office on a regular basis, maybe twice a week, and he was going down the back stairway, and they figured that out. And so then he was hiding in the girl's bathroom. Uh, and then uh, one time he's running out the door. He knew I was uh, doing ministry stuff or just a, a Christian. And so he's running out the back door, and he looks at me, and he says, hey, What do you do? I mean, what am I supposed to do? Well, what, what do you do in a time like this? And I said, I don't know, read a psalm? He goes, what? Read a psalm? And I, he, didn't, he didn't get to hear the rest of the, the advice because, like, I've been watching you for two or two years or so. I, you, you, you should have started a long time ago. You've you got this crisis-oriented faith that when the cops show up, you want to learn how to get out of stuff. What you should have been doing is studying the Word of God and having regular devotions and praying to Him about your greed you know about your insecurity and your need to be flashy and wealthy you could have been consulting God about how to choose a business partner you could have been you know learning how to be generous but now now that your crisis is happening now you're wondering where God is like he's a firefighter and he's got to put out your fire i mean i felt like he was jumping off the fifth floor of a building going hey can you tell me how to land i can tell you you shouldn't have jumped off you know and so, listen, the whole point is, if, you're, if you have a crisis faith, what does it take? Here's the point, I guess, right? What does it take to get you to pray? What does it take to get you to pray? Because we ought to be praying three times a day, good times and bad, because that's how you become, you know, a consistent. That's an attribute of a dolphin, a consistent. What does it take to stop you from praying? I mean, look what it look what it could have taken for Daniel. Look, all he has to do, right, all he has to do is say, I'll just pray silently. You can't stop that. I, uh, he, I mean, it's, it's easier than that. I'll just close the doors to the window that's facing Jerusalem, or I can pray at night, or I've been praying for 70 years. How about I take 30 days off? All these things, all these things. is all he had to do to get out of this, quote, trap, but he wouldn't because he's consistently courageous. He's devoted, and he's heroic, and that's what he needs to be. That's, that's what it takes to swim with the sharks. The next morning, here's what happens. They see him that night, and they, they, they see him praying, facing to Jerusalem and out to the west, and, and then they go, and here's how they, they, they're playing the king. They go to the king, and they say, hey, oh, uh, King Darius to live forever, right? And he says, yes, right. Uh, let's get on. He goes, well, you, uh, you remember that, that, that edict you thing you did about you can't pray to anyone but you for 30 days? And he said, yes, it was only to me for 30 days, and it was part of the law of the Medes and Persians. Oh, it's interesting that you should say that, part of the law of the Medes and Persians, because Daniel has been caught praying three times a day. Now, did I tell you this chapter is about Darius? I know, it's Daniel in the lion's den. No, it's Darius and the lion's den. It's Darius and Daniel. It is their mutual love and respect for each other because this is how Darius responds to this crime against him. He's grieved. Verse 14, and then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set, set him uh, his mind on delivering Daniel. Even until the sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. In other words, they come early in the morning. They say, look, this is part of the law of the Medes and Persians, and it's Daniel. And he's so twist, his little heart is twisted up and knotted up, and he's spending the whole day pacing back and forth saying, well, how do we get this guy out of this? They come back to him at sunset and and push him. Look at verse 15. Then the conspirators, now they've got a new name, now the conspirators came to the king and said to him, uh, uh, now, king, you know that the law of the Medes and Persians, there's no interdict or ordinance that the king establishes that can be changed. In Persia, 550 B.C., right, there's no one above the law. Everyone has to submit to the laws of the Medes and Persians, and they're reminding him, you wrote this law, you signed this law, and now Daniel has to die. And so, as the sun is setting, he gets Daniel, and he puts Daniel in the lion's den. He, verse 16, he says, he's angry at himself, and he's angry at these men. He says, and then the king gave the command, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. And the king, the king says to Daniel, may your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. And they seal, the, they seal the den. And then in verse 18, then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food, no entertainment was brought to him, and sleep fled him as well. Look what's happening. This is, I've told you, this is about Darius. Look what's happened to this man. Daniel's just doing what Daniel does. Didn't speak a word. Darius is the one going, oh, look, I, there's a way out of this, Daniel. Daniel, the God whom you faithfully serve, he might be able to get you out of this. He could do this for you. He's encouraging Daniel in his, in hoping for a miracle. I love that. And then second, he's having his first experience with prayer and fasting. Can you imagine? This, isn't this funny? This is a pagan king who doesn't know how to do this but he can't eat he wants no tv sets on or entertainment or music playing and he's just going to just be sleepless all night this is a story about Darius Darius and the lions den it's about love and friendship it is about respect it's about the power of living as a dolphin in a world of sharks Now what Darius didn't know is that God had plans. He had plans to send an angel beforehand and speak to those lions. As a matter of fact, we actually have videotape of the angel of the Lord speaking to the lions. You should see this. We just got this in from Israel. Go ahead, play it. Hello again. Listen to him. Hello, my boy! Hello, my boy! <laughs> 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 Hello, my hey, boy! Hey, my boy! <laughs> Hello, my <there's a> boy! <laughs> Hello, my <there's a> boy! <laughs> Have you had a nice time in you? Hey, have you had a nice time? Here she comes. He's coming to get you. This is fantastic. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's not so funny to be on the receiving end of that mouth, right? So that's what happened. And God sent uh, an angel, angel of the Lord. This is Jesus before Bethlehem. And he tells the lions, he says, listen, listen, um, Daniel is my friend. Leave him alone. you don't even lick him. that'll get you started. And I promise you, when I'm like screaming, ah, I haven't eaten dinner, I know. you'll miss dinner, but you'll have an all-you-can-eat breakfast buffet if you just leave him alone. <laughs> if you know how a story ends, you'll know that they, they got that breakfast buffet, and it was all they could eat. Here's what I'm trying to show you is that Darius said, "Your God that you faithfully serve can, ser- can save you." And he sends. The angel of the Lord, Jesus, before Bethlehem there. Here we go, part two. Sometimes God saves you from the lion's den. Sometimes God saves you in the lion's den. When you are in the lion's den, look around. He's there. He is there in those, uh, you know. Hospital rooms. He is there in those courtrooms. He's in those places of fear. Sometimes he doesn't save you from it. He saves you in it, and he's there with you. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. And then listen, uh, the story. This this is the climax of the story itself. In these next three verses, it is the most hurried part. It's the most action oriented, and it's dominated again by Darius. It says this that as the sun came up. Okay, sun just crests the horizon, and then it says he immediately woke up and hurried anxiously towards the den, and it says, and then he says, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, and he's screaming down at Daniel, Oh, when he's just getting close to it, he's running down the hallway, he gets there, he goes, oh, Daniel, servant of the most high God whom you faithfully served, did he spare you from the lions? And Daniel says, Oh, Darius, may you live forever. God had sent an angel to close the mouths of the lions because I, have, I made no offense to you, and I, I made no sin against God. And they're looking at each other, and then Daniel says, so maybe we could talk about it up there. <laughs> <laughs> Help. So the king, the king orders that he be pulled out of the pit. And, there, and then it says, interestingly, it says the king looks at Daniel and inspects Daniel. It couldn't find so much as a shed hair from that lion's mane on him. And he hugs him and he's like, this is, this is great. Your God, whom you faithfully served, have saved you from the lion's den. And then he grabs the conspirators and throws them and their families into the lion's pit where they're all devoured in an all-you-can-eat buffet. Justice. That's a dolphin's life right there, friends. That's what dolphin living looks like. He, right, he had this excellent attitude, right? He had integrity, right? He had consistency. It was his consistency that got him in the lion's den. And then this last attribute, the fourth one, you want to swim like a dolphin? The fourth one is faith. You have to live by faith. This is a summary and a culmination of his whole life here, this living by faith. What is faith? Well, you go to the Bible. The, faith, the Bible defines it. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Let me say that again differently. Faith is the certainty. You, you absolutely know something that you don't necessarily experience. In other words, it is holding to a promise, knowing it to be true, without ever seeing it played out, experienced. It's saying, I'm going to believe what God says, not what I see. I'm going to believe what God has promised, not what I get to experience in this lifetime. That's faithful living. That's what it means to live by faith. This man has his whole career living by faith. He's going to believe in promises, not circumstances. And so when, when Israel is destroyed and conquered by Babylon and the town is destroyed and the, the temple is burned to the ground, you know what he says? He goes, you know, God said he would discipline Israel, and that's what's happening here. And I'm not seeing it, but he said God would restore Israel as well. He said that God would, would, would uh, judge his, Israel's oppressors. And I might not ever see that, but I, I know what's going to happen. I, I have a conviction of something I don't see. The eyes of faith is the only way to make sense out of a crazy world. Say that again. The eyes of faith holding to the promises of God, not experiencing the promises of God, Holding the promises of God, that is the only way to survive, no, thrive in a world gone insanely crazy. That's what he has. Let me say it as another way. Daniel never saw Jerusalem. Daniel prayed three times a day for 70 years. He never got back there. But he believed Israel would, and they did. He believed he 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 prayed. He prayed that he could see Jerusalem. He never saw Jerusalem. Here's what he saw. He saw three kings. There were four kings he served under. One of them was judged, and three of them claimed that the God of Daniel, the almighty sovereign God of Daniel, was the God of the universe. That's what he did see. He didn't see Jerusalem, but he saw King Cyrus realize that the Jews were not a threat, and they could return again. He never saw Jerusalem, but he had a vision in chapter 9 that Jerusalem would be restored and the walls would be rebuilt. He never saw it. He had a vision that the temple would be rebuilt. He never saw it. He had a vision that the Messiah would walk through that temple someday, and he, he named the day of the king's coronation to the day. It would be 483 years after the wall was built, But he named the day, and that day was Palm Sunday, when everybody was screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes the king. He never got to live it. He also saw, by faith, he had a conviction that that same king would be turned on and rejected immediately afterwards. That's the crucifixion. He saw that. He never experienced that. He believed that because he had a vision, but he never got to live it. He never really had the prayers of returning answered, but he had this prayer answered. Here's where God's prayer was for Daniel. Stay. You stay there in this chaos. You stay there and you show the world what it's like to live in Babylon, how to swim like a dolphin, how to swim with the sharks and not become a shark, how to be as shrewd as vipers but as innocent as doves. You stay there and show the world we're still talking about Daniel. We name our kids after this guy. Da Vinci wrote one of the last things he wrote was, I wonder if I did anything at all. Daniel might have written that, but we know better now. Look at the legacy of this man, the power of his witness. Three kings, three pagan kings are falling face down saying, your God is the God of the universe. You, you, here's the... It's written, it's this poetic justice. This is very well-written storytelling. You want to learn how to thrive? Here's the answer. You're not going to believe where you find the answer on how to thrive. You want to know how to thrive? You want to learn how to live in a culture like this gone crazy? Don't take it from Daniel. Listen to King Darius. Listen and learn from King Darius because if you serve this God, you'll be just fine Thank you very much. Look what King Darius, this is how the story ends. This is Darius telling us about how our God. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples and the nations in every language throughout the whole world, hey, may you have abundant prosperity. New edict, and this is the law of the Medes and Persians, I make a decree that all of my royal uh, dominion people should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall not be destroyed. His dominion has no end. The story of Daniel ends with King Darius telling us the way it ought to be. Learn from this king. Live like Daniel. If we're a church like that, oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine if we were all Daniels? Can you imagine all the dare races breaking out around us in workplace, on our neighborhoods, on our teams, on our places of influence? Dare to be a Daniel. Be a dolphin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we lift up this ambition to you. I, these attributes, these attributes are, are within our grasp. Lord, I'd ask that your spirit would speak to ours about what we need to, to, to turn over to you. You know, it's this excellent attitude, maybe, that we need to say, you know what, I've got to repent of that. I've got to change the way I'm living and feeling and my attitude in life that I would surrender to your sovereignty and trust in that first and foremost. Maybe it's just integrity. Maybe we've got to quit white lies and shaving the truth, not doing what's just or consistency. Oh, boy gee, let's talk about something else, but uh, that you would make me a more consistent, devoted follower of you, that it doesn't take a crisis to get me started praying and nothing could stop me. And Lord, I'd ask that you would help us have this vision of faith that we don't have to experience it. We don't have to see it, but we trust in your promises. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. That there is. No condemnation between you and us. There's nothing that can separate us from your love. These promises that we would hold to, that know to be true, that you're in the lion's den with us. So Lord Jesus, would you make this church a church full of dolphins, a church full of Daniels, a church full of people that are fun to be around and encouraging to be with and speak boldly of your greatness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.